This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think there is a class of practices um, and I would put yoga into there. I would say probably like the martial arts fall into there. Um, I would probably guess that fly fishing or, or river guiding. Um, Peloton. You know, yeah. Or <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Kyle Beachy, whose first novel, The Slide, won the Chicago Reader's Best Book by a Chicago Author Reader's Choice Award for the year. His short fiction has appeared in journals including Fanzine, Pank, Hobart, Juked, The Collagist, Five Chapters, and others. His writing on skateboarding has appeared in The Point, The American Reader, The Chicagoan, Free Skateboard, Free Skateboard Magazine, UK and Europe, The Skateboard Mag, US, Jankum, Deadspin, and The Classical. He teaches at Roosevelt University in Chicago and is a co-host on the skateboarding podcast, Vent City, with pro skater Ryan Lay and others. Welcome, Kyle. Welcome. Hi. 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 And he's, Thank you. he's our real life friend. So this is very exciting <laughs> for us. IRL friend. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now we must hear you read. Great. I'm very happy to read. Um, <laughs> what I'm going to read here is from chapter one. Um, which is a, which is essentially uh, an introduction. Um, I was a better skateboarder when I was younger and jumped off stairs and onto handrails, but I was always a coward, always. I was a five-stair man on good days, maximum nine ever, with marginal tech capabilities, but only when I was going slowly. Now I do not jump down anything I could not jump up. Now my body cries out in the night like a long ignored rotten tooth. I bleed onto sheets from lower back abrasions at the precise sites of other prior abrasions. My swell bows and sprained wrists require adjustments when I type or grade student work. In the mornings, I stretch both hands cautiously downward with my fingers yearning for the floor like some anciently promised land. I reach upward for some imaginary piece hovering someplace behind and roughly above my head. It is a project of pops and creaks and fierce gusts of pained breath. I am not graceful. How many of us, I wonder, are lucky enough or doomed enough to have a force such as this in our lives? A practice, I mean, or pursuit or activity, an entity, or really any kind of thing whatsoever that we fear and respect enough that we will not lie to it or try to trick it or approach it with anything short of total candor a thing that we know can see through us, that will laugh at our folly without reserve, revealing sharp and yellow teeth, pointing a long finger with maniacal joy to mock our fealty. And will just as readily offer embrace for our persistence and reward us with a joy that has no cognate, that is its own unique end. For me, the combination has produced an unlikely impulse. Forgive me for indulging this impulse at such length. This decade, my writing and my marriage and my life have not gone the ways they could have. But I have come to believe that what's hiding before us in plain sight, another form of the unseen is the two seen, is rich enough, mysterious enough to occupy 10 years or 34 years and counting of my life. And so... I begin again in the same place, which is a place of wonder, 
the passing curiosity that we pursue with language. It flees, of course, and we chase the fucker and wrestle it to the ground, then stand up an hour later, dirtied and bloodied. What makes a thing special? What makes it dangerous? What is the nature of our play? There needn't be an answer. There needn't even be an argument. Sometimes to write is only to see how words respond to new company, and that is all. For still, we are out here playing. We travel in packs, large and small, forever plural, some of us steering cars between spots while others walk or bike with boards balanced dumbly on handlebars. In cities, we push through vacant nighttime streets. We push through crowded nighttime streets. We linger in front of buildings with clear views of security guards wearing their bland uniforms with a pride that's halfway convincing. Time, for now, derives totally from them. So we go quickly at the stair set or the fountain ledge until we see the guard shift behind their desk and start toward us with a mien of disapproval and one long finger wagging on behalf of the faceless bank or venture, venture capital firm or whichever global finance group owns the tower, the courtyard and the ways it's to be used. If we are youthful, tomorrow we'll go out again. If we are aging, whenever our legs and our backs are up for it, assuming we do not have to work, and the wife's blessing, of course, the husband's, the partner's blessing, or not. We're crossing suburban strip malls and scaling fences, and in the country, we amass inside the little rectangles they toss our way, saying, here you go, kids, now play nice. Hoofing across the cobblestone back alley through the rain and snow to find a garage door to heft open and reveal a cramped half pipe inside. And do you know the carpet outlet store where the wheelchair ramp meets the rail with the hedge tidily trimmed? Every night, the manager will flip the door sign to reveal the store's hours, closed by six Monday through Friday, Saturdays 10 until five, closed every single Sunday, especially in the South. Thank you. Mm. That was Thank beautiful. Mm. And Thanks. so Kyle Beachy. So yes. Kyle Beachy. That is just vintage <laughs> beach. I think I think you might need to unpack that a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always um you have such a unique way of I don't know, even your cadence is your own. And mm. like you you're able to give like a distance but also an intimacy. Um and it works really well for this book. Alex and I were talking about even, you know, especially in the marriage parts where you, you're not specific a lot of the time, but it still mm -hmm. feels like we get a sense, we get a very real sense. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I just think it's sort of the way that your words carry the reader along. Um, it's a very uh, like um, idiosyncratic way of communicating it's very you. And, um, and so it teaches you to read it as you go. And um, it teaches you its cadence and yeah. it's, um, it's vernacular. And I, I don't know, it's, it's just you. There's a lot of pushing in this book. That's, 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 the, that's my favorite thing about it. There's the thing I kept thinking as I was reading after the Niger piece is that this book is full of pushing and we get to, we get to recognize exactly how you, you form senses, how you push a skateboard. It's like, you're, there's so much soul in here as, as you talk about in there, because, because we get to see that we get to see your thought process, how you're wrestling with how skateboarding fits into your life, how a marriage fits into your life, how that, how both those things wrestle with your writing life, um, encouraging and taking away from, and it's, <laughs> there's, yeah, Lindsay said it's so much of you. It's, it feels like a much more revealing book than I had anticipated it being yes. in, in a really wonderful way, Kyle. Yes, totally. Uh, oh man, that's, that's, um, thank you. Thank you friends for saying such nice things. Um, I think that that question of transparency and that question of, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to jump immediately into language and, you know, please jump, theory, jump. theories of, we'll where, catch you know, where, where meaning lives. Um, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm super interested in syntax and I'm really interested in, um, cadences and rhythms and kind of beats. Um, and I think, you know, if this book has a kind of, uh, thesis to it, it's that, um, we've, we've maybe started undervaluing how, you know, like the question of how a thing is done. Um, 
you know, I'm, I certainly am someone who, when I, when I pick up a book, what I want to see is something stylistic happening. You know, I want to, I want to encounter someone's attempt to, you know, as I said in that reading, like just put words next to each other and see what happens. Um, and so that's, that's a really uh, extremely gratifying kind of opening uh, gambit for this, our podcast. Thank you. That's great. That's right. <laughs> you have succeeded. <laughs> I mean, Very it can't, good. it can't hurt that you're married to a poet, right? Like I'm sure language is, you know, what you have in common. We do. We talk. Yeah, we do. We, um, you know, which, which at times is not super wonderful. Like when we're arguing, <laughs> right. Like when, <laughs> when you know that both people are extremely, um, deliberate with, the terms they use and when they use them and knowing well the full connotations and associations that every term will sort of conjure up for the listening party. Um, <laughs> it, it makes arguing really so, uh, like a kind of minefield, like you, you would use <laughs> that modifier. Um, <coughs> but, uh, so yeah, yeah, no, our, our, you know, my, my wife uh, is named Kristen and she is um, an exceptional writer. She is just an, a very, very good writer, both um, as a poet and also as a professional writer. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real asset. I never, never thought I would be someone who um, partnered with a writer, but if you're going to partner with a writer, the combo of poet slash um, professional writer is a really good combo. Like, mm. I don't know that I could handle, an, I don't know that this household, at least much, you know, I won't speak for every household, but two novelists in a household feels <laughs> real, real, real dangerous. Like we're approaching a kind of threshold at that point. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine being married to someone who doesn't read, but I would hate right. to be married to another writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, instead you're married to a, a wonderful and very, um, you know, anachronistic, strange person in my head, right? Like Ben, ben is just an extremely like playful, a likable you know, Duke like, fan. What's up with that? Yeah, yeah. The only one that I could think. I truly no. Maybe yeah. one other. Uh, Margaret Patton Chapman, who is oh, also love a writer, her. love her, is a Duke fan. Um, but aside from that, yeah, no. The only the only two Duke fans I would even consider having to dinner. Um, but you know, like Alex, like your spouse isn't a writer, and and I imagine that's fairly important for you or or do you ever long like do you ever uh, sort of wish no i don't i mean i i i'm so competitive that's one of the things i really <laughs> appreciate mm -hmm. about the book kyle that i i'm such a competitive lunatic that there's no way i could handle that i think i would try and undermine yeah undermine <laughs> and i'd go fucking yeah. crazy yeah 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 i'm 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 extremely competitive and you know part of this is about that right like part of what this book is about is the struggle of the last 10 years of kind of realizing um you know knowing that i am a competitive person but always thinking you know that that competitiveness was central to you know like the relationship between com competitiveness and ambition is is a real close one and so mm -hmm. one one can be sort of lured into thinking like no i must stay competitive or else i won't be like getting down every day to do the work right mm -hmm. like how do i get the butt in the chair if i'm not competitive um and i think for me that was a really really dangerous sort of model to sort of default to um and it took a whole lot of deprogramming for me to realize just how damaging competition um for me and my creative practice has been and it and, and it has been like I'm I'm super comfortable saying that it has been at times just devastating mm. to try to balance that sort of um natural organic competitiveness with this other thing that I really want to be good at um excuse me it's just been yeah it was hard it's, it was it was a tough time um Did but that, you know it also you... does things like sorry it does things like gets me off Facebook. Like I had to quit mm -hmm. Facebook. Cause I was mm -hmm. like, I can't keep seeing people um, announcing their NHS grants. Like I can't keep <laughs> seeing people thrilled to be included in a thing, you know, like mm -hmm. I, that phrase thrilled to thrilled to <laughs> blank, like started <laughs> turning into this sort of like, like emotional grenade and just like, you know, so I had to, I had to make some adjustments. Yeah. I think now like going on Twitter, everybody's talking about what they're working on and it makes me feel like, Oh my God, <laughs> like ugh, I have to do anything else than talk about my word count. Do you, 
do you think, I mean, is that, is that real for you, Lindsay? Like, do you have to take sort of enforced breaks? Like, do you need to mute people? Like how active are you in sort of managing that? Or do you just well, sort I of think- like grin and bear it? I was going to ask you this too, because I feel like, um, I had, I had a big chip on my shoulder. I would say like in my thirties, basically until like familyhood overtook me. Um, mm-hmm. I, like I had that chip on my shoulder in the same, you know, nasty voice and it, it rears its head even now. But, um, I took like a 18 month break from Twitter. I only got back on because of this podcast. Um, Sorry. and I think that, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Alex. <laughs> Why? <laughs> doing it for you audience um but i think that that long of a break and also like like stepping back and and like looking around at what your life actually is which it does include Mm -hmm. the art it does include the writing and the work and the publishing it allows me now when i go on twitter and it makes me feel annoyed or angry or sick to my stomach i just close it and i don't you know i'm just like able to not be on as much as i used to And it was like, I used to have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram going. So I would like cycle through those three over and over and over again. And it does make you feel like, like there's this race that you need to be like in, you need to be Mm -hmm. like keeping up, you know? Yeah. Um, But you don't like, you don't need it. And I think it makes, it made like, it made the work better for me because you could, I can hear myself better. Um, But I also just wonder if that's, if that's with like getting to be in my forties, you know, like everybody talks about when you get into your forties, you, you know, yourself better and things start to settle. And I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I could see that. I mean, I'm always sort of suspicious of things that are like, well, in your forties, you'll learn this Be- yeah. because I, you know, on one hand, yeah, that's totally true. On the other hand, I think there are just some lessons that take a really fucking long time to sink in. Right. And like, you won't just automatically know things in your forties unless you grapple with them a little bit. And I think, you know, I think the the best thing in the world is to look back at something you've grappled with and be like, oh man, I sure came out of there. Like I sure was in the shits there for a bit. Like yeah, I sure exactly. was. And you know, with, with writing there, you know, there are at least two real culprits there. And one of them is the absolute sliding scale of success where it's just mm. like, or like shifting goalposts, I guess is the better metaphor. Like the, it is never enough. And mm-hmm. and every writer has alive who's ever achieved any sort of success has always made clear to say that, like, you know, the ones that I listen to are the ones that say things like, Hey, just FYI, like book four, isn't any easier than book three. Like you're not any gentler on yourself. Um, after you've won a push card or after you've won a MacArthur, like you don't, you don't like settle into believing in yourself in new ways. Um, you have to do the work. And I think the, that's one thing then is the sort of shifting goalposts. The second thing, of course, is like this notion of scarcity that if like, oh shit, if, if Rachel Yoder is getting all this attention for her book, then there's, oh, damn there's you, Rachel. less, there's less attention for my totally different book that appeals to totally different readers. Oh my God, like, Kyle, I don't know if I'll cut this or not, but when I, my book was oh, out man. on submission a couple months ago oh, and one of the editors who passed was like, yeah, you know, we're looking for books like night bitch when it comes to motherhood books. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, well then call Rachel. Here's her fucking number. (laughs) Um, Which she's a friend having read night bitch. Now I'm like, I see, I see what you're saying, but yeah, 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 that's just a little too close to the bone, but in terms of like selfhood yeah, to bring it back to your wonderful book, um, Mm. the most fun thing, like, the selfhood that you cultivate on those social media posts can give this false sense of intimacy or this false sense of knowing not Mm -hmm. only to like the people who are looking at it, but the people who are reading them and thinking like, Oh, I know this person. Um, But this book, one of the most startling things about it is that it feels like a, like a, an intimacy that we're not used to in this modern day and age, I would Mm -hmm. say. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about like the process of you, because I know some of these are essays and some of this was stuff you wrote to, to, you know, knit the book together and sort Mm -hmm. of tell this greater story. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about like, it was this writing, this putting it together, a part of that deprogramming. Was there another, like, were you like searching for you? Hmm. Did you, you know, like, was it you? Yeah. Yeah. No. I think that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, 
and I really look forward to answering. I hope I don't like just now start talking and then stop in 25 minutes. Cause this is also the seat where I, you know, have been teaching classes for the last 18 months or mm-hmm. 12 months, I guess. Um, and so because we're not um, on video right now, it, I'm having flashbacks to looking at 19 black boxes of students and just talking into the <laughs> void and, and you know, you just keep going. So anyway, um, if I do keep going here, please like clap back or something. Um, so t- let's, in terms of form, first of all, and I want to get to self maybe on the way here. Um, the, so yeah, the book was when, when it was sold, it was a collection of essays that I started writing in 2011 um, and wrote them um, fairly, uh, I guess, gradually because I wrote them very deliberately. Like I wasn't um, very productive with them. Like over the course of, you know, 10 years, I think I wrote, you know, maybe like 14 or 15 essays. It's not like I was Mm -hmm. turning them out. Um, And, you know, the idea was the sort of the, the argument was like each essay stands on its own. But the fact was, is that the, the reason I needed to write those was because I was going through a kind of crisis with a a work of fiction. Um, And at the, the early sort of essays were ways for me to kind of release the valve a little bit. Like, you know, I had all these kind of thoughts and I was trying to cram them into the draft of the novel that I was writing. And it was very clear that the novel was sort of buckling under the weight of them that, you know, it was didactic. Um, Mm. It was, it was trying to be smarter than it needed to be. It was, you know, I was using fiction as an opportunity to say things. And that's, you know, that's a red flag all the time. Um, and so at first the, the essays were a way to kind of like, you know, clear the, clear the chamber a little bit so that I could, you know, sit down and write just fiction. Um, at a certain point along the way, like as the, as the novel draft came into its full form and then started being circulated and started being rejected and started being nibbled at and all that stuff, um, the project of the essays became more and more clearly like its own thing. Like they were still standalone essays, but each one sort of stepped off of whatever level the last one got me to like mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't in any way total distinct like there there was a progression of thought there so when the collection of essays sold and it was about half of what ended up being the final book it was pretty easy to you know lay all the essays out in a sequence decide which ones stayed and which ones were cut and then sort of like i think the term you used was stitch it together um which really was just like putting in some sense a sort of narrative to the the writing of the essays and also like exploring some of the things that the essays couldn't get into. Um, so there was this process of like reflection, like, oh, it's been 10 years since I wrote this first essay. Where was I when I was writing that? Um, and, you know, the very personal stuff along the way was A, the novel I was trying to write that, you know, remains a novel manuscript that no one has bought. Mm-hmm. B, um, finding that, I ended up marrying a person who at the time uh, when I started writing all this was really just a a good friend of mine. In fact, my best friend, she and I ended up getting married and um, C, you know, finding out that, hold on a second, marriage is extremely difficult. And and then, you know, D, E, and F are like, I was aging and Mm -hmm. continuing to skateboard and like being a teacher and wondering how you can have authority to be a teacher if no one's buying your novel. And doesn't that Mm -hmm. seem a little silly? And isn't that what failure is actually being a, a writing professor who can't get any writing published and like going through all of these very tumultuous kind of personal struggles. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of me in the in this 300-page book that covers mm-hmm. 10 years of my life, and of course, my childhood because I started skating when I was eight years old. the The way you are revealed, though, is I think the most surprising and my favorite part of the book, Kyle, in that the whole book could be something like Seven Small Bafflements. I mean, mm-hmm. that approach could have been the whole book mm-hmm. in a way, and yet we also get these. And we also get a book that is like completely (laughs) in the weeds minutia about skateboarding (laughs) and your thoughts and like Mm -hmm. deep knowledge and want and a deep want to communicate that knowledge and share how nuanced, how important, how strange skateboarding is to someone. I feel like the book 
you say in the book you started writing for yourself and that's clear in the best way here but really the book is not for just skaters it's for i mean you you go to such great lengths to make it to make your practice of skateboarding something that anyone could read about and appreciate and i think that openness is what really is the the thing that ends up being like holy fuck kyle's really here like mm. yeah and i will say because i i never skated and i didn't have like skate skater friends except for you kyle and <laughs> <laughs> you know we were never talking about skateboarding right, so i expected right. to sort of yeah like be in the weeds or just kind of be like okay sure but it, it definitely it doesn't feel like that and it doesn't feel like skateboarding mansplaining either <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's yeah, a relief. Yeah. It really just feels like selfhood. Like I'm reading selfhood, you know, like, um, and I, you know, I don't want to keep bringing back the marriage stuff. Cause I, I don't like, I don't want people to think that that's the point of the book, but I, right. I was saying to Alex before this, like, um, it's high time that people start writing about marriage in this way. Mm. Um, because it, it, it isn't, it is normal. It is normal to go through those things. And I think what's, um, what's truly beautiful is the way that you and you, you refer to her as Kay in the book, you, um, you try to name these things that you're, that you're going through. You try to identify them. You try, you know, like, and, and I think that's, what's beautiful. And I think that's when it, you know, people say marriage is work, marriage is work, but they don't understand what the work is. And you're talking about the work and it feels like, it feels, it feels freeing, you know, like it feels like we need more of that in, in these kinds of books. Um, and I don't know, like, how did it, did it ever feel frightening for you to go there? Did it ever, I mean, not that you go to extremes or anything, but you are honest about it. You are honest about it in a, you know, um, like a, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like a short way. What's the word succinct. You're succinctly Mm. honest about the marriage stuff. Um, how did you keep yourself as the writer honest as not even about the marriage, like the whole thing, you know, as you're confronting these things about yourself, you're confronting the fact that you still really love skateboarding. It's just who you are. How did you keep yourself perpetually honest as you're, as you're writing this? Um, Well, I think again, like, I I feel like I have, I should say thank you before I answer any of these questions. And I don't think that's just like the Mennonite in me. I actually really (laughs) love everything that you're saying here. Um, The, the, I think it, it, and this is maybe going to set off some of those sort of like cornball alarms for certain readers. But like, the fact is, is that I, I really, really, really love skateboarding. I mean, one of the things that was revealed to me over these last 10 years is that um, the sort of richness and the profundity um, and the reward of that love. Um, and, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that when you really love something, and like love it in a way that you don't understand Mm -hmm. Um, to be surprised by your own love and, and be surprised by what that love yields um, is a really uh, kind of stunning. And I think singular experience to kind of look, look real hard at that love, like center that love and shine a spotlight on it and, and really go in about what is this experience? Cause you, you know, the thing about skateboarding, and I'm not sure that this is totally the, true about writing, right? I mean, there are a lot of reasons people write. And for a lot of, for a lot of people, it's because they have an idea of what uh, it means to be a writer and they have an idea of the lifestyle of a writer that we've glamorized it in certain ways or one wants to kind of live the notional sort of existence that a writer lives. Um, so I'm not sure that the love of writing necessarily works this way all the time. I'm sure it does for some people, but for me, it really wasn't working this way. I, mm-hmm. I, I know that writing is a skill that I have. I know that there are times it is an exceptionally rewarding thing, but the fact is, is that this, at any moment I could look at my experience of being a writer and then compare it to my experience of being a skateboarder and know like it's down to my toes, like, Oh, that's different. The love I have for this thing is much different than whatever this, this sort of mixture of ambition and um, desire and admiration um, that, that writing is. So I think the first answer to that is that like, man, I just really, 
believe in skateboarding and this Alex maybe gets back to some of the stuff you were saying, like there is a kind of argument at the core of this book and that argument, whatever else this book is that that argument I hope comes across as, Hey, this thing that we just sort of accidentally created in the middle of the 20th century in the United States of America and California, this is a real, (laughs) this is important. You know, like this thing that is so often a joke about like guys who don't have bed frames or, you know, <laughs> in, in the, in a film, it's always a sort of trope of like, oh, this is the burner. This is the idiot. This is the mm-hmm. kid that doesn't know things like this sort of, sort of like popular cultural laughing stock that is skateboarding is far more interesting than we're giving it credit for. And so part of it is like, Along the way, you realize like, okay, I really love this. And also like, I'm justified in loving this. Like, not only am I enamored and deep in the weeds, as you say, of, of this thing in this culture, I also think that it's taught me things. I also think that it provides perspectives on the world that I wouldn't otherwise have. And not only that, but boy, if you link up skateboarding with some of the sort of larger questions of the humanities, whether they be from literature or they be from um, religious studies or they be from moral philosophy or phenomenology, like all of this is there. It's all Mm. there. Um, And so, you know, this also kind of gets us back to that question of selfhood. Like I am a person who's interested in literature. I'm a person who's interested in philosophy. I'm a person who's interested in cinema. And so when I uh, sort of, plumb the depths of my love for skateboarding, all of those other interests kind of come in there. And it just, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how to say this again without sounding kind of corny. Like, I think there's something exceptionally like cosmically special about skateboarding. I think there is in skateboarding the opportunity for some things that we don't find a lot in this world. Um, And, you know, the two biggest ones of those are mystery and, you know, some sort of sacredness. Like, I think there is something potentially sacred about this kind of practice. How, okay, so two questions. Number one, sure. was that realization or that acceptance a jumping off point for you or like a freeing thing for you? And also is accepting mystery also part of that for you? Like, yeah. you know, cause that, that goes toward, you know, what we're you know, ambition is, you know, mystery. Um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, well, well, I mean, certainly what was freeing was realizing that, I mean, what was not freeing, let's start there. Like what was imprisoning was my commitment to trying to write a novel that in some way, uh, conveyed all the things I just said, right? Like what was, what was infuriating was trying to fit into the framework of a novel um, all of these kind of mishmash of notions and questions and mysteries and sacred um, that and the sacred that I just sort of mentioned what Mm -hmm. was definitely freeing was realizing that all of the things I wanted the novel to do I could do them with the essay form like what Mm -hmm. was the most liberatory experience i've had in the last 10 years was realizing like oh wait this is actually an essay right and like i i speak of poetry a lot in the book um but i'm not a poet like i'm not talented as a poet i'm not talented i'm not skilled with line breaks um i'm very slowly learning to be a, a better reader of poetry but i am not a writer of it uh everything I admire about poetry that I wish I could do is something that the form of the essay not only allows for, but like encourages, like come in here and do that, like repeat things, veer off wildly into this other tangent, like leave something unfinished. That's, that's, that's the meat of the essay. So that was liberatory. Um, that was, that was a relief. Um, I'm kind of blanking now on the second half of your question, which I was, was just about- asking about mystery, but I think you did touch on it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the, the the sort of if the book has a central argument, it's that skateboarding is special and unique and, and worth thinking about the sort of if the book has a villain, it's sort of narrative, right? Like, you know, <laughs> one of one of the real challenges I have I've had over the last kind of 10 years um, is like trying to figure out what I think of narrative. Um, And as someone who wrote novels and who has written short fiction and who teaches, like my career is talking to students about the narratives they're writing. um, It's been kind of a crisis for me, you know, like I don't, I'm suspicious of narratives that 
foreclose on mystery. I'm suspicious of narratives that attempt um, to answer questions one after the next. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that gets us, but that's certainly part of it. Although you're, it's clear the, you know, your feeling about skateboarding is, is different than the way you feel about writing ultimately. I mean, that, that comes through again and again in the book and it's something you just alluded to Kyle, but it is amazing reading through how many of the realizations or insights that you have about skating end up being so like blindingly applicable to <laughs> writing and wanting to write. I, I, I think I, I stood up and started laughing when I hit incremental ego death. I was just like, <laughs> like, what is more, yeah. what is more applicable to someone who wants to write? Um, yeah. And there's so many moments like that. I was wondering if some of the closer, the closer reads on these particular people, you know, whether it be someone like Nyjah early on or the later Reynolds piece, or even I was really, I want you to write much more about Brian Anderson. Cause I, I, he was one of my favorites growing up and just mm-hmm. thinking about the, these people, their specific, you know, you think about someone like Brian Anderson or Reynolds, who has been a professional for so long and in so many different iterations was thinking about how they kind of, progressed through what it meant to be a skateboarder did that inform Mm -hmm. your ability to understand what it meant for yourself yeah yeah absolutely and i think i think what we have here is like an example i think there is a class of practices um and i would put yoga into there i would say probably like the martial arts fall into there um i would probably guess that fly fishing or or river guiding um (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or like, yeah. Or, or cooking. I don't know. Pel- Peloton's maybe unique, but like, you know, there, we have this class of practices that people develop a relationship to and a practice of, you know, it's, it's like a Tao. It's that you return to it. It's not just, Hey, I really love having a meal at the end of the day. It's, it's important to me to understand ingredients, to go to the market and pick out the ingredients. And like, you know, it's, it's a practice. It's not, it's not just, the sort of means to an end. Um, and I think we have a, a, a sort of category um, that skateboarding slots sort of roughly into among those. And I think when anyone like Nigel Houston or Brian Anderson or Andrew Reynolds or Dylan Reeder, or any of the other people that I, I focus on as, you know, particularly um, important and interesting skaters in the book, anyone who does that practice long enough, who pursues that practice long enough is going to find their own sort of um, unique approach to it and unique things are going to come out of it. Right. Mm. And and like, again, theoretically, that's how writing works, that if we do it long enough and we have the freedom to do it the way we want, then like 20 years into our writing career, we're going to have our own sort of body of work that, that conveys who we are. Mm. I think the challenge is with writing and why writing doesn't always end up being that way is because we have this whole other party um, that's in charge of what our writing ends up looking like. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have this whole market driven publishing machine that says to us like, Hey, I really love this first draft, but actually mm-hmm. of these four voices you've written in this weird multi-voice novel, only this one voice is important. way too real. Way too right. fucking that real. just happened to me. It happens to Jesus all of us Christ. because the publishing industry wants to reduce things down and make things less strange because they need to sell it. And it's not like, you know, this isn't like witchcraft. Like it's very obvious why they do it. The question for me more and more is like, well, why do we allow them to do it? And like, what Mm. does that have to do with our sense of scarcity and our desire to be part of publishing and so on? Um, And so that word is so interesting, Kyle, allow, like, because especially with so often in the book, you talk about how the media around skateboarding has changed mm -hmm, so much mm -hmm. very recently and I think the first time I actually met you, we talked about this. I said, I don't even understand how videos are free now. And it's just like on Instagram, because it was so right. foreign to when I was a kid. And if you take Brian Anderson, for example, if you would have told me as a 12 year old watching jump off a building that mm-hmm. that man was gay, right. it would have exploded my brain. And right. it would have been like, 
transformative in my life to think about like, Oh my God, like my favorite skater is gay. That's amazing. Right. And if that message would have been able to be communicated through a VHS tape somehow, just in the way he was, he was, if maybe if he was just like with his partner in interstitial scenes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yet the fact that it has to be announced years and years later in like a, even though it, it was an open secret in the industry, which I did not know until reading the book. Right. Um, you know, the fact that it's like a, it's almost like an announcement that we would get from a, a football or a baseball player or whatever. Now, mm-hmm. even the way that <laughs> skaters are allowed to communicate themselves. And I don't know. It's just amazing to me how deeply tied to what skateboarding is, who these skateboarders are to the people that care about them is tied to the media that, creates them i mean you talk yeah. about that all, so much in the book but it seems especially precarious when something like instagram is so integral right. to its success right and 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 you know uh back to the kind of question about like is this a book just for skaters or is this a book for um you know like normal people uh <laughs> the, one of the things that my editor my editor is a guy named wes miller um who is a skater um and he throughout this process has just been like exceptional. He's just been so wonderful at letting me sort of go on my own sort of path and figure out what the book is going to be. Um, he's just had an exceptional amount of faith in me and I'm incredibly grateful for it. But one of the things that he kept pushing me on was you need to do more to explain the role of video to, mm. to the culture of skateboarding. Wow. Um, because it, you know, it's true. Like, you know, Alex, a lot of what you just said kind of understands this, that there's this, I had this kind of assumption, like, well, obviously skateboarding is built out of video. Like that's what it is. It, it, it became a thing in the era, the same kind of coincident timeline with video itself. Like skateboarding came to be as video home video was coming to be like the two share a sort of origin point. Um, And so that was, that was like a real sort of struggle for me because again, you know, a lot of the book is about things that are obvious. It was so obvious to me, like, well, no, you have, this whole book's about video. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, one, one would like to think that the fact that skateboarding has adjusted to Instagram becoming a free sort of content mill and video changing or the shape of video changing so radically within the culture of skateboarding and, and, you know, the industry responding to this new sort of technology, one would like to think there's a sort of roadmap there for other forms of expression. Like what would that look like in book publishing? Mm. Um, But the challenge is, is that, well, we, we already have that. We already have self-publishing. We already have free Kindle downloads. They flood Amazon and it hasn't made book publishing better or different or more diverse or any of these things. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I don't know, there's a real limit. I, I, I spend a lot of time talking about the relationship between skateboarding and writing and kind of literature more broadly, but what it doesn't overlap with, I don't think at all is publishing. And I mm-hmm. think that for me is why I, I, have become a little more like openly critical of the publishing machine. Cause it, you know, it, it reveals itself to be working so obviously in against some of the more beautiful and magical things that literature is. Do you think that there are any questions unanswered in the most fun thing that are answered in your novel? The novel manuscript that mm-hmm. is unpublished. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a, that is it. That's a fucking great question. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, uh, I think what there would be is more answers about me as the author. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think were you to hold up the novel manuscript, which incidentally Alex has read, right? Like, oh, yeah, you, you know, told me. Yep. so like, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think if you having read the nonfiction book that in some ways kind of chronicles my struggle with the novel. If you held that up to the manuscript as it stands now of the novel, you would probably learn most about me. Like, I think there's some great writing in that book. Mm. Oh, um, Come on. But I, I, you know, I don't know that it, it really works as a novel. And I think, you know, uh, so I don't know. I don't know. That's a great question. I also, I should be very clear here. I haven't, looked at the fucking thing for a very long time because it, <laughs> it has driven me to such you know like 
cliffs of madness that I, I, I've learned to leave it alone. One thing, Kyle, that was so surprising to someone who really isn't familiar with skateboarding and the iteration that it exists in now was the way Nike is so, Mm. I mean, Nike is like an engine and also a villain. And I mean, when I was a kid, had a Thrasher subscription, was like, it like learned everything from Thrasher, would go to the, you know, watching videos like we're talking about. I I vividly remember reading an interview with Jamie Thomas, where he talks about on off days when they're not filming, wearing Nike runners and like it exploding my brain that (laughs) Jamie Thomas wore Nike runners. And like that sentence isn't going to make sense to everyone, but like, it was like shocking as a kid to think like, he's not wearing skate shoes. Like, what are we talking about? And the fact that, I mean, it sounds so stupid to say it out loud, but it's like, it was, I know that there were hundreds of thousands of kids who had the same reaction. And it's like, insane now the way they fuel it seems like so much of the entire industry there was there was a real era there of uh purity where like commitment to skateboarding meant like you it it foreclosed on any other activities and you know footwear is a good example of that like if i remember i mean for me it was like seeing a a a picture i think it was tim o'connor but it must have been before that wearing hiking boots and i was like you oh fucking God. sell out yeah he used boots? to wear he used exactly. to wear timberlands i remember right. that he used to wear right. like tan timberlands on the there's like an element tour video i remember where he's like running around in those right so like what the fuck is that like what is that purity like wh- what was that and what that was was a, an industry who was pushing skateboarding in such a way that to via to in any way step outside of its clothing and its, um, you know, body posture and its attitudes. And it's, um, you know, if you're not skating, then you're in some way failing. Like, you know, the aggression against jocks was so real forever. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, there was a, there was a time when the skateboarding industry cultivated that sort of purity. Um, and you know, you could, you could hypothesize all sorts of reasons why, um, because it was a dark time for the industry because they weren't interested in growing. They were interested in like retaining the small body of skaters they had. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that was a period. And we can look at that and say, there was a time when skateboarding, uh, did not think kindly of the world around it. Um, and, you know, thank God that's not the case anymore. Now, Nike's role in that is, is huge because, you know, Nike essentially decided like, Hey, this is a market we can make some money in. Um, and they tried to come in and were rebuffed basically because skaters were so pure because we had been indoctrinated in this idea of like anything from quote unquote outside skateboarding was, um, evil or was weak or was cheap or was somehow, um, you know, not worth thinking about. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be learned from what Nike did. Like Nike essentially figured out, hey, here's how you tap into a market who wants very badly for you to get the fuck away. Um, and the way they did that was essentially to hire a bunch of people from the market so that skaters within the market wouldn't think of them as Nike. They think of them as like, oh, that's a skater um, I know and think of well. And if he's getting money from Nike, it's going to be okay. I mean, it, it, mm. it sounds very simple, but there was a there was a real kind of Machiavellian elegance to it. Um, mm. And now they're you know they're now selling themselves as a skate company to the rest of the world, right? Like the whole phenomenon of Nike Dunks now is only because skateboarding has given the dunk that one shoe, which now sells for thousands of dollars in resale markets has charged it with this sort of cultural cachet. Um, so it's slick, man. Nike won. like mm-hmm. Nike, Nike did it. They figured us out and now are using us to appeal to other people. And it's, it's brilliant. Has someone written that book, Kyle? Has there been a book just on that topic? I don't know. I mean, I know, you know, there, there've been a lot of books about sneaker culture, um, and sneaker head culture, and I have not read them. Um, mm-hmm. but I would imagine, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a secret. Um, I would, I would imagine the perspective is a little different if it's not written by a skateboarder, but I, I would say, yeah, you know, this is, it's a pretty historically slick maneuver that Nike pulled off and, you know, every sneakerhead in the world, like has to recognize that. 
we were talking, Alex and I earlier, um, before you logged on about how your, um, publicity for this book is going to be so different than what we're used to <laughs> as writers, because yeah. you're like, you're hobnobbing with all, like Alex was saying, he couldn't believe Mark Gonzalez you did an event with, is that yeah. right? Yeah. That and was a dream. yeah. And so like, you're going to be doing stuff like that to, to publicize this book. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, you know, a few, a few things have happened in the last month that if any one of them had happened earlier than the last month would have been the single coolest thing that's ever happened. Right? Like, I've, I, That's amazing, Kyle. That's, it's, that's thank, awesome. thank you. It's really, it's really exceptional. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was, I have an interview in the August issue of Thrasher and that oh is something gosh. that young me would have never even allowed myself to dream of happening. Unreal. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I, I had an hour and a half long conversation with the Mark Gonzalez, who essentially invented street skateboarding and Alexis Gonzalez, who is, you know, now a fourth place Olympic athlete, but before that has just been the coolest 34 year old architect skater that the world has ever seen. Um, so yeah, I, I've been very, very fortunate on that, on that front. And, you know, one of the challenges Lindsay, to your question is that like, well, you know, book publicity has a really clear kind of um, playbook. Yes. And, yes, exactly. And, and in, and in some key ways, this book um, demands other approaches, you know, like I've been fighting really hard and tooth and nail to figure out a way to get this book sold in skate shops. And mm -hmm. the weird thing is, is that big conglomerate publishers don't have mechanisms for allowing that to happen. And so we're hmm. just like, I'm banging my head against the wall to try to figure out how to do it, um, how to get it into the hands of a skateboard distributor and go from there. Um, so on, on one hand, yeah, it's really incredible. The fact that I get to do some, you know, it's like, that's my whiting award being in Thrasher. Like that's, <laughs> that is the top honor I could possibly imagine. Mm. Um, but also it's sort of like, you know, I don't, I don't know how the book world is going to respond to this. You know, I don't know that every reader, you know, Lindsay, who doesn't have a built-in interest in skateboarding, who doesn't have um, a friend or a family member or a, a romantic partner who has been engaged with skateboarding, who is going to take a risk on a book like this. And I think my publishers and my publicity team have been a little kind of like, well, I don't, what do we do with this? Um, I think it's so smart that um, you're comping it with barbarian days mm. because I feel like that's an example of something that transcended, you know, great fucking like, book. Yeah. My father-in-law right. read it. He's never surfed, you know? Right. So it's just like, right. it, um, it makes so much sense, but I also feel like it's such an exciting opportunity because that playbook is outdated, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it, for sure. There are, and especially in the age of Zoom and stuff, like we don't need to go to New York to do these things. And and in fact, like this book, while it's meant for all readers, it has like a built-in audience that would be super stoked. That's my word. Nice. Uh, you know, to to read it. And so it just feels like it feels like a really exciting opportunity to branch out and think about these new ways, like you're saying, to get it in into these places that typically wouldn't sell books. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I really do hope so. And I really hope that there are enough people in the sort of, you know, I have an interview coming out in the rumpus, um, I think on the 14th of August, I believe, um, with an author named Holly Went, who uh, I know them from the classical they wrote for uh the same website that i started writing for years and years and years ago now defunct i forgot about that yeah the classical rule yes ben, it was ben so ben loved, wrote for the classical ben wrote for the classical yeah. and loved the classical Man. um so yeah holly you know is a writer who who writes about hockey um they are oh, also yeah that's i was like why is that name familiar yeah, i totally. totally know her yeah yeah so they are um a very 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 good reader and like the the fact is is that like you know, I, I need a few, I think, champions like Holly. I need, I need a few sort of people who are reader people who can say to their friends, like, yeah, I, look, I know you're not into skateboarding, but m maybe give this a chance. Um, so, yeah, I, I it, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're sitting here where a we're a week and a couple of days away from release. And I, I will tell you, Lindsay, that that question you just asked is like the, the one sort of anxiety I have about this, like, is, 
is anyone who's not related to skateboarding at all are they going to read it but what about in the opposite direction kyle because i know i know yeah. is it is it see is it see you what's his name how do you how do you pronounce it suchu suchu yeah so obviously like one of the top skateboarders going like currently right now in this moment has yeah. blurbed this book <laughs> i mean which is fucking insane i mean right. what what did what did that mean to you and what did that help did that signal something to you about what was possible for the book um yeah well yeah i mean i think within the world of skateboarding there are because there's not a great sort of obvious and natural value given um to how do i say this it it doesn't naturally highlight skaters who are academic or skaters who are you know diligent readers of literature it's not part of the kind of traditional skate conversation um so the people who are that kind of stand out right and like mark suchu is one of them he's got an instagram for his books that he reads and so on um you know and then at the same time there are some people like ocean howell who is a former pro skater who has written some of the most incredible theory about the way that skateboarding is used. Um, and then there's an English man, man named Ian Borden who wrote a book called Skateboarding Space in the City, which is just like this exceptionally dense and rigorous um, study of um, architecture and the way the body moves through it. So I was able to kind of tap into that strain and have those sort of skater intelligentsia uh, speak on behalf of the book. Um, and, and because, you know, that I, I, I hope that this doesn't sound self-aggrandizing, but this book hasn't existed in skateboarding before, you know, right. there, there are a lot of books about skateboarding, um, but there hasn't been one that's like really kind of a deep dive into questions of selfhood, Lindsay, like you said, and mm -hmm. marriage and adulthood and those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's been incredible. It's, it's been amazing. Um, Alex, like what I hear kind of the subtext in your question is, is like on the other side of that, our skater is going to read it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and that, you know, that's always been the sort of rag, like from ever, you know, the joke about Thrasher was like the joke about Playboy, like reading Thrasher. You don't <laughs> read Thrasher. You look at the pictures. But um, people totally did. I yeah, mean, they did. They did. Yeah, and, and they yeah, want to. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I know. I know that, you know, I've got some good friends who work at the shop here at Uprise. And when we've run into each other, because I took like four galleys to them very early. Um, and, you know, when I run into those guys at the bar and we're shooting pool or whatever, though, they've been very, very stoked, Lindsay, to say things like, <laughs> oh, hey, I'm, I'm on chapter three or like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm making my way through it. And I think that's it. Like, you know, what, whatever the relationship between skateboarders and language and, and the sort of traditional relationship between skaters and reading is, I mean, one thing I firmly believe is that skateboarders believe in challenges and believe in reward. Mm. And I, I would hope that for both skaters and non-skaters, there's, there's enough of the balance of reward to the challenge in here. And for skaters, that's going to be like, oh, there's Mark Suchu. I know him. Or like, oh, there's Andrew Reynolds. This is about Andrew Reynolds. Or, um, you know, for non-skaters, I hope it's that, oh, I don't know who these people are, but I, I sure understand some of the questions that are being asked. And I sure myself have had these questions also about my own sort of practice and whether that practice is writing or again, like yoga, or again, being a, a life partner to someone who you've pledged yourself to and wonder sometimes if either of you really even thought about that pledge before you made it. Like, mm. I think my hope would be that those rewards exist. I mean, on that note, <laughs> did we do it? Or did that we was nail beautiful. It? Did we yes. No. I think that's it. I think, um, I'm so excited for you. Um, Same. Man, oh my God. Dude. It feels like a huge accomplishment. Thank you. It, it does it's a miracle. feel that way. It feels <laughs> like a new thing. It really does feel like a new it type does. of book. It doesn't, yeah. it, it was such, I mean, part of it just structurally, the fact that you can fly through this thing in a great way because the essays are short, but also you're getting, I mean, there's a ton of parts in this book, right? It's a, it's a, it's a long video with a ton of great parts. And it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's also true. really, it's like, it's, it's all of those things, but it's also really charming. 
So I felt charmed as I went along, um, which was so fun. So, you know, if I could just add one thing, one of the great things that's happened is some, a few kind of key authors who I just really admire um, have responded positively to this. And one of them um, is the author, Adam Levin. um, I love him. Who wrote this just wonderful email where he essentially said to me, like, look, you are overly sincere and charming, but I never, like, I never wanted to strangle you. Like, <laughs> I, I never felt that it, it like tipped over into being all shucksy. And I think that, that to me was, that was, that was it. That was special. Cool. Um, thank well, you guys so much. This has been a, just a, a hoot. My experience with skateboarding was like one time in Sassy, they were talking about all the different Sassy magazine. They were talking about all the different types of boys. <laughs> there was like jock and there was like the literary one, the goth, the burnout, the jock, the yeah. skater. And then there was the skater and they were like, yeah, skaters, you know, they're always like hot, but like they're, they're pretty distant and like, they don't really, you know, they don't really respond or whatever. They're not, you know, so like if a skater likes you, that's pretty special. And the skater never liked me. So <laughs> that, was my, that was my knowledge of, of skateboarders. And so, but I also know Kyle. And so, you know, coming to this book, I was like, well, you know, I love Kyle and I, you know, love his writing. And so I'm just going to read it and whatever, if it goes over my head, fine, but it doesn't, it never did. Um, and I really feel like it's, it's such an honest book. And I think that gets to what Adam Levin was saying is that there was never a point where it was like, look at how folksy I am, you know, (laughs) like, look at how precious I am. Never. There's never that point. It's, it's just constant, like marveling and wondering and, um, and yeah. And I, I read it, you know, a lot faster and with a lot more fun than I thought I would. So I'm excited for him. This is, this is a huge achievement. It is. It's, uh, it's a special book. It really does feel different than anything else I've read because it's completely granular and has deep knowledge of a very specific subject. And yet it is also utterly personal. And yeah. And the cool thing is, as you read this book, like I remember I read Bram Stoker's Dracula when I was like 11 and I read it with the dictionary and I just looked up all the words. And this, if you don't know who these people are, your phone is right there. And then it just becomes even right. more meaningful, you know, like you read it as someone who knows and I read it as someone who doesn't. Right. You know? And, but I mean, like I said, Lindsay, there's, there's so much of this book that I didn't know. I mean, cause a lot right. of, you know, my right. knowledge is 15 to 20 years old and it is not really relevant in the new kind of frontier for skateboarding where everything's Instagram and yeah, it's a totally different world. So definitely pick up this book guys. It's great. It's, and it's so inspiring to me, like personally to, to just start writing more honestly. Um, mm-hmm. So that's exciting. So good job, yeah. Kyle. We're so excited. Good job, for Kyle. You. It's out on August 10th, which I think is around the time this will drop. Yeah. Coming up. Yep. So what else? What else? I've been traveling. We're going to travel some more. I have not touched mm-hmm. my novel in weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about this earlier, but that's kind of, by design because um it happened with eat only when you're hungry i'm nearing the ending and i just need to like think before i mm. write that mm-hmm. um and then i'm also like really missing the one i was working on before i started rewriting this one yeah M- want to get back to that and hopefully i will when school starts mm-hmm. um but yeah what about you well real quick some of you said uh because I know typically you're a very fast drafter was you know, only when you're hungry, that kind of pause before the rush at the end, was that new for you when it happened? I'm trying to remember. Uh, so ugly girls was my first novel and I wrote, I wrote like the first two thirds of ugly girls all at once. Yeah. And I think, I think it was similar. Yeah, I really did. I struggled with the ending with ugly girls. So that, that was like a later thing that I wrote. Um, and I guess that's just how I roll now that I'm, now that you asked me that. Yeah. That's yeah. how it happened with ugly girls. That's how it happened with, uh, eat only when you're hungry. Um, yeah. Wow. That's kind of blown my mind. 
I guess that's how I work. Yeah. Well, it's easy to forget how you work because that's what I've done. I feel like I haven't <laughs> written anything in like, <laughs> I don't know, fucking nine months. I don't know. It's, I mean, yeah. you know, working, editing a novel is, is definitely real work, but it, it is not writing in a way. I mean, it's not, it does not have the same, it doesn't feel the same as drafting something new or like occupying a new space. Um, and I think I've been with the the book I was, I was working on for almost five years. It's on submission now. It's like, it's been kind of hard for me to break out of that into something else. So I've just been, you know, doing other things that are living, stupid living your life, eating ice cream and watching mm-hmm. hockey. And you, there's no hockey right now because it's not hockey season. Uh, as most of you, maybe that know. hasn't stopped you. No, it hasn't stopped me at all. There's YouTube. <laughs> so I'm going just deep dives on just some really, really arcane bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I really feel like, um, like I had this fire under my ass and then all of a sudden I was just like, no, wait a minute. Like right. something has to give because, mm-hmm. because I'm, you know, whatever I squeeze out in those moments wasn't going to be good anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, school year is coming. So Oh God. Have some more time. I think. Yeah, we got my my oldest is gonna be in preschool in like a month. Is that right? Yeah, same with same with my youngest. Right. Fucking terrified. Is she me, going me, every day? Her. I'm terrified. Oh, uh yeah, I think so. For a couple hours every day. Yeah. It's like two awesome. hours, two and a half hours. I don't know. She's gonna uh, love it. She's gonna freaking love I think it. So I think so. That's what we keep telling ourselves. I mean, it's so stupid because it's one of those parenting things where you're like, fucking billions of people have done this already and it's fine. But then also like, I'm legitimately scared. I know. I know. I know that feeling. Well, I remember there was this YouTube I saw of this mom dropping off her kid at school for the first time. And on the way there, she's just like, no one's going to know that he likes, uh, (laughs) he likes to be hugged after he poops and then he needs a glass of milk right before. And so she's just like freaking out about all this stuff. And then as she's driving away from the school that cuts to her driving away from the school and she's like, freedom. (laughs) 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 But no, they have a blast and they make friends and like, I know, but I know that feeling and I know I'm going to feel it for mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, I think, I think that's all I got. It's all you got. That's it. All right. Good job, Talk Kyle. Later. Thank you, Kyle. All right. Bye, bud. Bye. I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah.